Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 19th. We're going to play a little bit of catch-up here on today's show. Typically, I try to record our weekly previews of any given week on the ATP and WTA Tour on Tuesdays. We also typically call those episodes Tennis Point Tuesdays as they feature our dear friend Nate Walrith from Tennis Point. That said, had a bit of a scheduling screw-up, and I do apologize for that fact. Nevertheless, still four exciting tour-level events for us to focus on on this mini-break podcast here this week. Of course, the predominant storyline is the chase for the year-end championships. Of course, on the women's side, that chase truly coming to its conclusion with this week's WTA 1000-level action in Guadalajara. I know we started the week with more than 15 players still alive in that chase for the championships. Now, I'm recording this Wednesday. October 19th, around 5 p.m. Eastern time. Believe we are down to just 10 players still alive in that chase. That said, 10 players alive for the final, what, three spots, I believe, now? Because Igor Sviantek, Own Jabour, Jessica Pagula, now with Wednesday's results, Coco Goff, and, of course, I'm blanking on one name, Caroline Garcia, all clinching their spots in those year-end finals, still have the final three spots up for grabs. And certainly, we see so many top 25, top 30 players competing this week in Guadalajara as such, and that means it's going to be a really fun week of action for all of us tennis fans. Technically, the final significant week during this 2022 WTA season. Yeah, we still have the year-end championships. Yeah, we still have a bunch of 125K events as well over the course, not only of the next few weeks, but honestly, the next two months. That said, this action in Guadalajara feels like the penultimate week on the WTA Tour. As such, I want to spend a lot of time focusing on it here on this show throughout the course of the week. I'm going to guarantee this to all of you listeners. I'm bringing on David Kane. Uh, it's been too long since we've had the senior editorial producer for Tennis.com on this show. And I want to pick his brains as we put a bow on this 2022 WTA season. Of course, here on today's episode, we want to preview the draw. We can talk about, I suppose, who's still alive in those year-end chase for the championships. Talk about the players I am watching most closely. Talk about the first few days of results and why the conditions in Guadalajara feel like they are tailor-made for the big hitters. Cough, cough, Ludmilla Samsonova. Uh, To those of you curious, Uh, listening at home, but I think it's going to be a fun week of play in Guadalajara. I think there's going to be high-quality tennis. I think we're going to see that perfect element of desperation as well from some of these players. Just plenty of drama, plenty of high-quality action, everything you want as a tennis fan. So, of course, want to talk about that event, preview it for all of you listeners here on today's show. Of course, on the men's side, 
I've got three 250s here this week. I believe they're all 250s, certainly with the action in Antwerp, in Napoli, in Stockholm. Now, it's crazy to say, again, mid-October, each of these draws are loaded. And that speaks to perhaps the open nature of that race to the year-end finals on the men's side as well. You've got Five spots clinched as of right now. Carlos Alcaraz, Rafael Nadal, Stefano Tsitsipas, Novak Djokovic, and Kasper Ruud having all clinched their spots in those year-end championships. But, you know, A, we don't know for certain that Rafael Nadal will be competing at the year-end finals. We don't know how healthy he is at this point of the calendar. And B, again, that still would leave three spots up for grabs. And while there's still a little bit of padding for a Medvedev, for a Rublev, for an FAA, who are sitting in those final three spots as of right now, they're comfortable But they haven't clinched. And as such, you see a ton of different players playing at various events at the 250 level this week. Felix Ogier-Aliassim wins a title last week. He's immediately back on the court. And he's the number two seed in Antwerp as Hubi Hercats continues his chase for the championships. You've got Stefano Tsitsipas, Cam Nori in action, a plethora of Americans. Tommy Paul, Francis Tiafo, and J.J. Wolf all competing in Stockholm. Of course, in Naples, Pablo Carreño Boost. Matteo Berrettini, Roberto Bautista, Agu, plenty of fun names in action. And again, it's mid-October, and yet we see so many top players in the world still competing out on tour. You couldn't ask for more if you're a fan of all things ATP and WTA tours. And again, you hear those names. Clearly, the potential for a very fun week in the pro tennis world. Want to preview all of that for you here on today's show. Of course, the reason I'm able to do that day in, day out, because of the support we get from all of you listeners, and of course, because of the support we get from our dear friends at Tennis Point. You hear me say it every Every day, but seriously, folks, if you need anything from a tennis equipment standpoint, whether it be shoes, whether it be shorts, whether it be tennis rackets, strings, maybe you're even diving headfirst into the pickleball realm. I know that's persona non grata to some of you tennis fans, but if you're interested in it or anything, again, equipment related in the tennis world, our friends at Tennis Point have you covered. Just go to tennis-point.com today when you inevitably do decide to make that purchase. Reward yourself for all of your hard work. Make sure you use our promo code CR15 upon checkout. Not only will it let them know we sent you there, you'll get 15% off all sales items free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75 best of all a free can of Wilson extra duty tennis balls tennis dash point symbol not the spelling tennis dash point.com the promo code is CR15 with that said let's get into this week's action on the ATP and WTA Tour. Again, want to start with the event in Guadalajara. 1,000-level tournament going to decide who is and isn't competing at the 2022 WTA Tour Finals. Again, Caroline Garcia and Coco Goff clinched their spots in those year-end championships today with a couple of victories, a couple of losses going certain directions. I believe it was Arena Sabalenka's loss in particular in three three sets to Ludmilla Samsonova that ultimately clinched the spot for Garcia and Goff. But I mean, still, you look at the players alive in this chase for the year-end championships. As of right now, I believe Elena Rabakina just got eliminated from this chase with her, uh, or with some of the results we saw earlier today. But just for the record, here are the players still alive for the spot. Sabalenka, currently in six. She's up 35 points on Daria Kasakina, who 
still alive in Guadalajara. She's up 260 points on eighth place. Veronica Kudermatova, who has officially passed Simona Halep, and again, is holding on to that final spot. After that, though, that's where things get fun. Maria Sakari trailing by fewer than 70 points, 69 points to be exact. She's behind Veronica Kudermatova in the ninth spot right now. Keys within, and then here are the rest of the players still within 400 points. Madison Keys, Belinda Bencic, Paula Bedosa, those three players, Keys, Bencic, Bedosa, if they win the title in Guadalajara, regardless of what anyone else does, I believe if they win the titles in Guadalajara, again, Keys, Bencic, Bedosa, Sakari, they will clinch a spot in those year-end finals, regardless of what anyone else does. So those three, again, the players outside, obviously Sabalenka, Kasakina, Kudermatova in that six, well, Sabalenka eliminated, but Kasakina, Kudermatova still in control of their own destiny, as are Sakari, Keys, Bencic, and Bedosa. You also have Danielle Collins. She's still alive. She's going to need a little bit of help. That said, the American who... Obviously, was a semifinalist last week in San Diego, finalist at the Australian Open earlier this season. She's played fewer than, I think, 35 matches overall on the year. And yet again, as I talked about on yesterday's show or Monday's show, I forget what day it was. When Danielle Collins has been on court, she's been exceptional this season, particularly on the hard courts all year long. And so... I'm not willing to count out the 28-year-old American just yet from the points race. Of course, the last player still alive for one of those final spots, Yelena Ostapenko, who earned an impressive victory in her first-round win over Jeannie Bouchard. I thought Jeannie was playing much better tennis, and it was just a stark reminder of how athletic Jeannie is when healthy. That said, I mean, Ostapenko... You know, I have fallen in love with this term, mini-break users, non-negotiables. Oh, my God, when... She wants to turn into a forehand. The point is over. Now, she may not always win it because that ball could very well hit the back fence, could end up in the net, certainly. But when Ostapenko wants to end the point, the point is over. And as you know, I consider that, folks, a non-negotiable. So again, your list of names still alive in this year-end finals race, as of at least Wednesday, October 19th. Sabalenka, Kasakina, Kunermatova, Sakari, Keys, Bencic, Bedosa, Collins, Ostapenko. That's the good stuff, folks. That's what we're talking about as we look at this week's action in Guadalajara. And again, all of those players still alive outside of Sabalenka in this 1,000-level event. You look at the draw as of right now. Here's a fun fact for all of you listeners. Coco Goff, 21.1% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. She is the favorite right now. Now, second favorite after that? Danielle Collins, who, like I said, don't write her out just yet. And man, oh boy, just listen to these matchups we've got in Guadalajara moving forward as we look at the round of 16. Doesn't this sound like a grand slam? Kudermatova versus Ostapenko, Collins versus Sakari, Kasakina facing Kalinskaya. That one's a little bit weaker. And the winner of Osorio Buzkova is going to face Samsonova in the round of 16. Of course, Samsonova knocked out the second-seeded Sabalenka in three sets. Samsonova now winner of, what, 19? Or 20 now of her last 22 matches. And she's third, by the way. 11.7% chance of winning the tournament, according to Tennis Abstract. Can we give Ludmilla Samsonova a special exemption? into the year-end championships with all due respect to the following players. But I ask you, mini-break listeners, at A.L. Gruskin, at Cracked Rackets, I'm actually extraordinarily grateful as 
so many of you have now taken the opportunity to reach out to me when I ponder thoughts like this on the podcast because as you listeners know, it's just me sitting here in a chair recording the podcast. I offer these questions up to the listening public. I'm always hopeful that some of you will take me up on my questions, but certainly always appreciate it. And now it feels like so many more of you are. And again, that's always been the hope for this mini break podcast platform. I know this is a cliche, but that we can use it as a sounding board for the conversations I certainly think should be happening in the tennis world and I think are happening between hardcore fans. Let me just ask you this. Ludmilla Samsonova or Daria Kasakina? If you're being honest with yourself, I know full, Kasakina had a better start to finish year than Ludmilla Samsonova. I'm not denying that, nor am I denying that in the arbitrary term deserving. I think Kasakina is more deserving of a spot in the year end championships than Ludmilla Samsonova. That said, again, I'm asking you to be honest, and I think it's a pretty easy question here. Who's more likely to win a year on championship event? Daria Kasakina or Ludmilla Samsonova? I think the answer is Samsonova pretty unequivocally. I think the power tennis she's displayed over the past, I mean, throughout the course of her career, but how she's reigned in that power, how she's number two in hold percentage and has been a top 25 returner by percentage of return points won since the start of this hard court summer. Like Samsonova has been a top 10 player in the world since the calendar turned to this back half of the hard court stretch and like, if you're asking me, you know, her three-set match against Iga earlier this season, I think it was indoors in Stuttgart, like, she just has non-negotiables. She has weapons that I don't care looking at this list. Again, Iga aside, we're moving Iga to the side here because Iga exists on another planet right now, but, like, right now, they're facing off head-to-head. Samsonova versus Owens. Samsonova versus Pagula. Samsonova versus Goff. Aren't you picking Sam? Aren't we all picking Samsonova to win those matches? The pace she plays with her serve into that golf forehand again. How steady she has been from the baseline of late. What does Pagula do to break her down? Yeah, Pagula sustains her level and probably makes more return than Samsonova is used to seeing. But what does Pagula do to disrupt the rhythm of Samsonova right now, who's in such great form? It's interesting because when I look at players like Sabalenka, Keys, Collins, who can match her power. Uh, obviously, I know she just knocked off Sabalenka in three sets. That's kind of a Sabalenka sort of lost the thread in the third, and the second serve sort of went awry, and that will happen to Sabalenka. She's in her own category and unique challenges for any player to face. But, like, I mean, Kudermatova's been pretty solid. That said, if you're asking me point blank, who's had a better year, Samsonova or Sakari, I'd take Samsonova. Relative to expect expectations entering the season, I also think, again, Samsonova's on one of those three-month runs like we saw Conteve do last year, like we saw so many different players do throughout the course of last season. I think, no doubt in my mind, Samsonova has, you know, she was a lowercase b breakout star, maybe even just a mid-case b breakout star this year. She's positioned herself to be everyone's dark horse pick at the 2023 Australian Open. This is a long tangent, a long way of saying I was extraordinarily impressed with the power tennis she was able to play, the steadiness down the stretch, even if after an erratic second set in her 6-4-2-6-6-2 victory over the second-seeded Sabalenka, Samsonova also a 1-5 win over Kanepi in round number one. And again, you look for Samsonova since the start of this hardcore stretch. And I said this on Monday's episode of the Great Shot Podcast or Sunday's episode previewing Monday's action. I mean, I'm all in on a Samsonova run here in Guadalajara to just send a little message to the rest of the field that, hey, come 2022, 
you all might want to start thinking of me as elite. And again, 30 and 16 overall this year. She's abided by the two-thirds rule. She's 20 and 2 since the start of the hardcourt stretch in Washington, D.C. I mean, come on now. She has won 20 of 22 matches since the start of August 1st. Two and a half months she sustained this level. That, that's not a fluke. That That's the Samsonova that's here to stay. And by the way, she turns 24 years old in November. A prime run as someone ascends to their prime. All the math makes sense, folks. So, again, it's a really fun... I mean, bottom half of the draw, I think Samsonova is the single most dangerous player. I probably would have predicted her to make the finals. And maybe I'm even doing that right now. I mean, Buzkova, Osorio, I'm sorry. They don't have the weapons to hurt Samsonova. Kasakina, Kalinskaya, two players that are just going to offer opportunities on a silver platter. Again, it's Samsonova who's going to be dictating throughout the course of those matches... I see her getting to the semifinals pretty easily. I don't know if she's going to drop a set on her way there. And then, you know, you look at the top half of the draw. Holy hell, did Maria Sakari need her 4-4 four four victory over Marta Kostyuk just to stop all of the buzz of, oh, it's a disastrous season for Maria Sakari. And, you know, we've we've pushed that buzz, dare I say, here at Crack Rackets. We haven't used the term disastrous, but I think objectively it's a disappointing year for Maria Sakari, particularly after it started so positively in St. Petersburg at Indian Wells. Since then, you know, third round Wimbledon, second round Roland Garros in U.S. Open. To lose in the the way she did in the Parma final to Meyer Sharif, just lacking any sort of confidence in two first-round losses since. Really nice setting of the ship for Maria Sakari. And to be honest, it'll be nice for her to be an underdog here in Guadalajara. She's going to take on Danielle Collins. Collins carrying over her San Diego form here into Guadalajara. Th- uh, one and three win. Uh, excuse me, four and one win over Caroline Dalahide. Three and four win over Magdalena Freak to get to the round of 16. I mean, this quarter of the draw is so sexy. Come on now. Kudermatova versus Ostapenko. Collins versus Sakari. And it's October 19th. Sometimes we're spoiled as tennis fans. Sometimes we just need to acknowledge that fact. I mean, again, Kudermatova epitomizes lowercase b breakout star as a term. Kudermatova has been rock solid this season, and we're not going to go through all the various withdrawals that allow her to reach as many quarterfinals as she did this year. But just a reminder to all of you tennis fans, Veronica Kudermatova, 10 quarterfinals this year. Here's the list of players with double-digit quarterfinals. Iga Swiatek, Own Jabur, Veronica Kudermatova. So, with all due respect, get the f- out of here if you don't think Kudermatova's made a leap this season. And honestly, that's a little bit of a shot at David Kane, and I'm going to say that directly to his face because God knows we've had the Kudermatova discussion over and over again when he comes on the show. Yeah, she's a little bit of a one-trick pony. You look for Kudermatova, she ranks sixth in hold percentage this year, holding 76.9% of the time. She also actually up to a much more respectable 41st in terms of break percentage this season, but she's, dare I say, a little bit of a WTA serve bot when she has the opportunity to set her feet, play the plus one forehand. She's produced at an elite level here this season. I also think she has gotten more fluid as a defender. I think that break percentage, while still 41st, you know, it's a massive improvement for her overall here this season. And, you know, she's beaten who she's supposed to beat. She's proven, hey, I am one of the players, 25 years old. I can stay fit for 40 weeks consecutively. And that's a really, really tough thing for any player to do. So, again, that bottom half of the draw. I know it's, you know, all but one seed only remaining in the bottom quarter, but Kudermatova versus Ostapenko, both still alive in the year-end chase. Colin Sakari, both still alive in the year-end chase. 
And again, it's October 19th. If you can't get at for that, I don't know what to tell you. For what it's worth, according to Tennis Abstract, Collins a 41.5% chance of getting to the semifinals and out of this quarter. Sakari 19.6, Ostapenko 19.5, Kudermatova 14%. So the numbers still don't love Veronica Kudermatova, but any of us with eyes have to be impressed by what she's done this season. Of course, top half of the draw. Different story. Caroline Garcia going to take on the winner of Belinda Bencic, Sloan Stevens. Bencic grinds out a three-set win over Layla Fernandez, 6-3 in the third. I made the case why I think Bench. I've, I've done the Bencic bit. Can we agree? And you can, again, at A.L. Gruskin. First question, number one. We acknowledge Samsonova has been one of the eight best players on tour since the start of this hardcourt stretch. And we agree if we were making our ideal field if you were making your ideal WTA Tour uh, Finals field for this 2022 season, my ideal field would have Ludmilla Samsonova in it. Would yours? Let me know at A.L. Gruskin, please. If even one of you respond, as you know, it makes my day. The second thing I would like to have answered, have I done the Belinda Bencic bit enough for you listeners? You guys know my thoughts, right? That outside of the slam, she's had the best season of her career. I don't have to continue to establish that premise moving forward when I discuss Bencic. Do I? Let me know at A.L. Gruskin. Very nice win. Three sets over Fernandez. I'll tell you this. Fernandez has been really injured this year. She matched plus one aggression. First strike power with Belinda Bencic. I was really impressed by the Canadian lefty. That's an aside for the offseason. Speaking of Canadians, I love Bianca Andreescu. Like, this is a December podcast, and I'm going to save it for then. If you're asking me who's the single biggest wild card in disrupting what might be a decade of eager dominance coming up here in the 2020s, Sabalenka would earn a, a... You know what? We'll do that. The five biggest threats. How about this? Let me know again. Question number three, at A.L. Gruskin. The five biggest threats to Iga Sviantek moving forward. If you want that podcast in December, let me know, at A.L. Gruskin. I'll tell you this. She's in the top three. If she's not number one, it's Bianca Andreescu, who... Again, I think I've established the premise of when she's played this year. She's been very, very good. There's not a bad loss really on Andrescu's resume. And you look for her now 19-11 and 11 overall here on the season. Wins over Teichman. Three-set win, 3-6-6-2-6 level for Petra Kvitova where she did a great job flipping the script, playing more aggressive on her own serve and with her own first strike. But perhaps more importantly, you know, Andrescu's got the ability to flip multiple gears. She can play six feet behind the baseline, absorb some pace, play a little defense, mix in the slices, an exceptional volley, or she'll play the swinging volley as well to take time away from you. I also think Andrescu's an elite athlete uh, on the WTA Tour. I think the combination of movement, power, strength, flexibility— I think Andreescu looks five to five to ten pounds thinner as well, and I again I say that as if to say she just looks a little bit more fluid. All the muscles look a little bit denser, and what's the cutting phase, right? I feel like when she was off the court, she went through that cutting phase where it's like, hey, I'm strong enough, I want to lean out. That's what it is. The muscles have leaned out for Andreescu, and like kind of looks like a beast out on court. And I say that in the best way possible, just an athletic specimen out on court, and it's just. Beyond that athleticism, there's not a thing on the court Bianca Andreescu can't do. And, you know, again, watching her stretch Kvitova on the forehand wing with her backhand to open up the down the line for herself, force Kvitova to have to hit the on-the-run backhand, which she, you know, she doesn't hit the—I mean, which she just has never done particularly well— 
she's one of the few players who has the backhand to do that to Petra Kvitova. Obviously, she can work the forehand. I think she's technically sound on both wings. If you ask me, what's the biggest wild card in the next decade of the WTA Tour? Osaka's on the short list, of course. But I think if we get a healthy Bianca Andreescu for four years consecutively, let's say we'll use this as year number one. And through 2023, 2024, and 2025, she does not miss more than maybe two weeks with an injury through either of those three seasons. I will be shocked if she does not end up with a second Grand Slam because no one has questioned the talent of Bianca Andreescu. And I'm telling you, just go watch her play. She is one of those players who just feel like she can do all the sorts of things to hang with Ika. And I know that's not the standard moving forward, but it kind of is if you're trying to be the top player in women's tennis. And we've said this before, Bianca Andreescu has main character energy. She thoroughly believes she can be the best player in the world and that the story of every tennis match runs through her. And I kind of love it. (laughs) I'm kind of extraordinarily captivated by it. And the fact that Andreescu, having already beaten Teichman, already beaten Kvitova, she'll now face the winner of Rabakina Pagula. Yeah, sign me up. I'm going to watch all two and a half hours of that round of 16 matchup, and I'm going to guarantee, uh, not going to guarantee it, but that match is going three sets. You know it. I know it. We all know it. So there's my Andrescu spiel. Have, spiel, excuse me. Got to work the Yiddish while I'm in my parents' home. Feels like we're going to get more of that. Uh, again, that's a December podcast. Where does Bianca Andrescu fit in this ecosystem? Is she the wild card moving forward? I would argue a yes. At Al Gruskin, you can let me know why you agree or disagree. But again, this quarter of the draw, Garcia Andrescu into the round of 16. Uh, excuse me, into the round of third. No, into the round of 16. Uh, Pagula, Rabakina, Bencic, Stevens, Garcia. I mean, come on. Like... This section of the draw, absolutely loaded. Top section of the draw, that's the one that gets a little bit funky. Bedosa, Azarenka, Tamjanovic, Keys, all still to play their round of 32 matches. Coco Goff into the round of 16. She'll now take on Martina Trevisan. I mean, look, 18 years old, Coco Goff has reached the WTA Tour Finals. I'm going to ask one of you listeners to do this because I just haven't looked it up recently, and some of you may have the answer off the top of your head before I have the chance to look it up. Let me know at A.L. Gruskin. Sorry to start outsourcing some of this work to you. I promise. I know it's my job to provide all of you listeners with the stats, but, I mean, how many teenagers have qualified for the year-end championships? I'm sure Celis did it. Obviously, Hingis did it. Serena, Venus, I'm sure they're on the list. Sharapova probably did it as well. Did Ennin do it? Did Kleisters do it? Like, I know Halep didn't do it. I don't think Wozniacki at 19 might have done it. But it's got to be around 10 players, right? Certainly since 1990. I'm not... Chrissy and Martina were so much better than everyone else for so long. It's just like, all due respect, I'm not going back that far. Tell me since the 90s how many teenagers have made it. I think I guessed a lot of the names that are probably in there. It's probably somewhere between four to eight names that have done it. But guess what? You got to put Coco Goff's name on that list now as she qualifies for the year-end championships at 18 years old. And again, according to Tennis Abstract, she's your favorite right now in Guadalajara. And one last time, just to put a final bow again, Sabalenka, Kisakina, Kudermatova, Sakari, Keys, Bencic, Bedosa, Collins, Ostapenko. Those are your nine players competing for the final three spots in the Tour Finals. Certainly, 
going to be an exciting week that we'll continue to cover over in Guadalajara. With that said, I think 20 minutes is probably good enough to set the scene for that Masters 1000, Masters 1000, excuse me, 1000 level event. It's now time for us to change gears, talk about what's going on on the ATP Tour. And I'm going to go a little bit quicker through these as I do plan on bringing Nate Walrath onto the show at some point this week. And we'll do an ATP-centric podcast looking at these three events. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut Silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. We'll start with Antwerp. Um, I mean, you look at this draw, boy is it juicy. Uh, up and down the board, Hubie Hercots delivering us a fantastic three-set victory over Jack Draper. Draper pummeling Jensen Brooksby in round number one, six, one, six, two. And if you listened to our GSP ace of the day preview of that match on Sunday, that's what I forecasted in the matchup. Again, Brooksby just doesn't do any, that doesn't have a definitive weapon to hurt Jack Draper with. And if you don't have a weapon to hurt Draper with, the 20 year old's just too solid physically moves the ball too well around the court with his forehand generates too much depth on that backhand wing going to create easy opportunities for himself with that serve 20 years old he's number 44 in the live rankings that's a new career high for Draper and while I do think physically we've seen him fizzle out in the latest stages of a couple of matches later in events uh, against some of the best players guess what if at 20 years old, we're saying, yeah, it'd be nice if you can get a little bit stronger, a little bit more fit moving forward. We're not questioning any of the underlying skills that you possess. It's a really good place to be for the 20-year-old Draper. And so, again, yes, he loses in three sets to Hoobie today, but I'm all in. All in on Jack Draper moving forward. And if you listen to our offseason last year, you know Damian Kust and I got into arguments the wrong word. We disagreed. I was lower on Draper. I didn't believe in the backhand. I will say this, and you're not going to get this often, many break listeners, because this might be breaking news. I don't know if we need a sound effect, but I have an ego. I was wrong, dead wrong about Jack Draper. And I'm fine admitting that because, God, am I captivated by the young Brits town. That said, Hubie Hercots advancing where now he's going to face the winner of Dominic Team and Francisco Sarundolo Team. A nice win over the wild card Geertz in round number one. Sarundolo surviving in three sets against the big lefty and winner of whatever event it was a couple of weeks ago, Marc-Andre Hussler. Uh, that's a fun, again, that's a round of 16 match. Or, you know, what is this? October 19th? That's crazy. By the way, just to set the scene, here who has clinched. Alcaraz, Nadal, Rude, Tsitsipas, Djokovic have all clinched their spots. There's still a bunch of players still alive on the men's side because we still do have a couple of 500s as well as that Masters 1000 event in Paris. But the relevant information, Hoopy Hercots right now down 115 points to, oh no, excuse me, the relevant information, Taylor Fritz right now down 180 points to seventh place, but gets the eighth spot because Djokovic has clinched seventh place. Felix Ogier, Ali Asim, Hubi Hercots, 295 points back. Cam Nori, about 665 points back. Ridiculous to me. Everything I said about Samsonova applies to Yannick Sinner getting into the year-end championships. I think if you asked any tennis fan who, oh, I don't know, man, who are you kicking out of these year-end championships? The men's field 
not a lot of distinguish. I mean, again, Medvedev hasn't had a Medvedevian season. Rublev has been a February-October superstar, as our dear friend Gil Gross branded him a couple of weeks ago. Felix has been really good in February and October here this year as well. Fritz, Indian Wells stud. It's like, you know, again, that said, if any of those players had definitive better seasons than Yannick Sinner, who along with Rafael Nadal is the only player to reach the second week of all four slams this year, I would argue no. I'd probably take Sinner's year relative to expectations over all of those other guys. That said, Medvedev, Rublev, pretty comfortably going to get spots six and seven. It then comes down to really Felix, Fritz, Hercots, and fine, I'll throw Nori in the mix as well because within 600 with a 500 and 1,000 left to play, I've seen crazier things, I suppose, happen in my day. That said, again, you look at the Antwerp draw right now. According to Tennis Abstract, Felix Ogier Aliassime playing after a title run last week again wants to solidify his spot 29.5% chance to win the event he faces lucky loser Manuel Guinard in round number one on Wednesday Thursday maybe they play it's a Thursday start for Felix not the worst life he'll now face uh if he wins that he'll take on Dan Evans Evans a straight set winner over Talon Greek sport you've also got Richard Gasquet Making a run into the quarterfinals is the Frenchman where he awaits the winner of Goffin and Schwartzman. Gasquet has had a sneaky, not bad year. And I know that's not exactly, you know, it's a little backhanded here, but hey, 36 years old. He's 32 and 23 here this season. You look for him in tour level matches overall on the year. Very respectable, 24 and 17. You look for him overall in terms of quarterfinals reached. He's now reached five tour level quarterfinals, excuse me, six tour level quarterfinals overall on the season. Now he's one in four in his previous five, but all four of those losses have come in three sets. He's hung around inside the top 75, 36 years old. He gets to play all the big events, play the slams. And again, that's really what matters if you're asking me at his point of his career. So shout out to you, Richard Gasquet. We see you here at Cracked Rackets. That said, Seppi Korda, good victory after the final run last week. He's now got a tough test against Karen Hachinov. You see Yoshihito Nishioka here in the draw. Diego Schwartzman looking for some late season rhythm. <sighs> Man, this is tough. I'll go hatching off Felix in the final. Uh, shout out to Dom Stricker, by the way. Comes through qualifying to make the round of 16. I'm still, I know is a little high on him. Probably too high to start the season. But the 20-year-old Swiss, lefty's just got weapons. Plays on his terms. Again, give him five years to turn his body into an ATP body. And that's a guy with top 20 sort of game. How smooth he is. How easy everything comes on the court. His ability to play on his own terms. And again, no discernible technical weakness in his game. Uh, so that would be my thoughts on Antwerp. I mean, I'd love to see a Hubi run to the final as well. I just, whenever you pick the one versus two seeds in the final, you feel a little sketchy. You know what? S- screw it. I'll go Hubi versus Felix. I'll take Felix to go back to back. I think Felix solidifies his spot here with this run and then gives himself a little bit of uh, cushion heading into those final two weeks of 500, 1,000 level events. But that's your action in Antwerp. Over in Napoli, seem to have finally, you know, I know things keep screwing up with the court. They've had to end play early because it gets moist out there and it's just too wet. The conditions are unsuitable. 
It's a big mess. It's a mess I would rather discuss with someone else here on the show. I'll say this. Berrettini, 33.5% chance to win the tournament. He's your favorite right now. Cranio Busta, 19-1. RBA, 18-7. Shout out to our guy, Nuno Borges. Winner over Albert Ramos. Vinolas in straight sets. You look for Borges. He's going to end the season top 100, folks. Right now, Nuno sitting at a career high, number 93. One more victory. Gets him into the top 90 for the first time. And guess what? He's taking on Daniel Alahi Galan. I don't hate that matchup for Nuno, particularly on hard courts. That's going to be a really fun round of 16 affair. And then again, another ATP quarterfinal for Nuno to wrap up the season. That is called capturing the big mo. If you're asking me who's the guy that are going to screw up all the things in this event, Kasmanovic looked really good in round number one against Kaboli. I just feel like this is where Kasmanovic, you know, outdoor hard courts, this is where he could uh, thrive. I also think Mackie McDonald's played really good ball of late. Wins the title in Tokyo. Lost 3-2 to Musetti last week in Florence. But if you actually watch that match, Musetti was out of his mind. And for Mackie to even get five games in that instance, I think was a testament to how well he was playing. You know, that said, as I look at this draw, I'll go Kasmenovic, Berrettini in the final. Berrettini, though, under 500 in his career in two out of three hardcourt matches. I think Naples is where he writes the ship. I'll take Berrettini versus Kasmenovic in the final. Give me Berrettini to win the title. And then my favorite of the men's draw this week is in Stockholm. How about J.J. Wolf? Win or reaches his first ATP final last week. Comes over to Stockholm. 5-4 and four win over the always tricky Alex Mulchen in round number one. Wolf Demonauer in the round of 16. That is a fun contrast of styles. The winner, of course, going to take on Denis Shapovalov, who earned a nice win over Antoine Bellier earlier today. You've got Holger Runa taking on Cam Nori in round number in the quarterfinals. Nori 3-0 in the career head-to-head, but those matches always get physical. You know, Stefano Tsitsipas, a nice win over Max Cressy. He'll take on the winner of Mekel Emer, who's been very good of late, and Tommy Paul, obviously, also very very good of late. Tommy Paul, top six in terms of total quarterfinals amongst top 50 ATP players this season. Tiafo versus Emer, Elias Emer. That's a very fun one. Rusevori versus Lechechka, two players that the tennis nerds always enjoy talking about. Two guys who've had a lot of challenger success, two guys who strike the ball brilliantly. As of right now, Tsitsipas, 30.6% favorite. Cam Nori, 22.7. Then Tiafo, 15.9. I really liked how Tsitsipas has been playing of late. I haven't seen enough of Nori to feel definitively one way or the other. You know what? I'm going to go Tsitsipas Chapo. Tsitsipas Chapo final this week in Stockholm. Shapovalov obviously capturing the first title of his career in Sweden. I think he continues to have success at this location. But again, this is your third ATP 250 draw. Tsitsipas, Paul, Tiafo, Demonauer, Chapo, Nori, Runa, all top 30 players, seven of them, and they're all still alive uh, this week in Stockholm. So, in summation, the chase for the championships continue. It's going to be a really fun week of tennis, and of course, we'll cover it all here at Cracked Rackets. Keep you updated every day on this mini break podcast feed. Of course, a shout out as always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. A shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point. You all know the deal. Tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, for my fantastic super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. 
that's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.